is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Played list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: Chris Allen and A- A- Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is episode 19 of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen. And Adam, to be quite honest with you, uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to have to stop the podcast after this episode because I'm pretty sure that we've, I mean, we've hit the, we've hit all of our, our, our milestones. I mean, we've had more than 10 episodes. Uh, we have, uh, we have a sponsorship now with 444. And now we have our very first uh, blue check mark. Uh, guest on this evening so i I think we get jackpot i know we're going out on a high (laughs) note here if this is in fact our last episode so with that uh, i have to introduce our our guest for this evening and i'm not even going to introduce you by your first name mr mcdowell because i i just (laughs) i know you as grayson's father that's what yes, I, thought, yes. I think. That's what I think. That's what most folks on Twitter will will, will know you by. I mean, ver- minus any of the other accolades, and we'll we'll talk about that here in just a second. But everybody knows you as as Grayson's father, and happy to see the the pictures that you posted this morning from his first day of school. That was actually quite Absolutely. neat to, to see. Yep. For sure. But yeah, we do have the great Ryan McDowell here. And, uh, hold on. Let me take a breath real quick before I list off all the things that we're, that you're a part of because we actually had to have this discussion before we got started. So let's see if we got this right. So you're a writer for DLF, contributor to Roto World, host of the Dynasty Blueprint, which I'm, I'm sure everybody's listening to, the Player mm-hmm. Raider podcast, the Bull Rush podcast. So what else we got? Uh, we got Commission Impossible, a partner over at Dynasty Command Center, and also the Dynasty Scouts. I mean, did, did we hit everything that you're, you're a part of, Ryan? We, I think we got everything. That's that that always feels like a lot when I see it, see it or hear it listed. Uh, those are all all fun projects, fun uh, things that I get to work on and work with some great people, but. Uh, you started with the right one. The, the the thing, of course, I'm most proud of is uh, being Grayson's father. And, and actually, I have three kids. I talk about Grayson a lot on Twitter, and uh, everybody likes to check out his pictures and things. But, yeah, uh, father of three, and, and that's uh, – of course, that's that's the best part. But, yeah, this this is all pretty fun, too. <laughs> oh, most definitely. And that's, and that's, uh, unfortunately, that's our main reason for having you this on, on this evening. But of course, that is something that I, I definitely wanted to bring up because it is, it, it's neat for me to see, you know, to be a part of that. And for all of us, the, all the folks that follow you on Twitter to be a part of that. But let's get down to brass tacks. I mean, we're here to more or less go over or have a recap of all of the topics that we've discussed here on the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast over the last Gosh, Adam, how how long have we been doing this now? Is, is it really been have we been doing going on for months now? Has it really been that long? I guess 
I guess five weeks plus a bonus episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, if, if we're going, we're taking it all the way back to the beginning when we uh, when we spoke with Carl Safchik and fast forwarding everything now to tonight. I mean, we've covered a, a wide range of topics. We've talked about uh, dynasty leagues in general. We've talked about auction leagues, IDP, how to create projections. Uh, we just spoke with George Criticos about auction leagues. We talked about Devi. We've gone, we've run the whole gamut, I think. So, Ryan, when we brought you in here tonight to kind of pick your brain on a number of these different topics, and we're hoping that we can kind of get your insight, your process, your methodology for, I guess, a lot of the things that we've already discussed. So, just hopping into it, let's start off with something simple. So, let's say that somebody, you know, myself or whomever, they're thinking about getting into Dynasty. They're mostly redraft, or they might dabble in some DFS, but they're thinking about getting into Dynasty. But could you could you sell me on Dynasty? Why should I choose to do Dynasty? What makes that so much different than either redraft or DFS that it's something that they should begin to invest their time in? Why should why would I make that switch? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Chris. And I, I guess the first thing I always tell people, kind of when this topic comes up, is that if you're a redraft player, a seasonal player, and, and that's how most of us start out, if you get to the end of the football season and, and you're you're disappointed, you, you're left wanting more, maybe you're uh, doing some playoff DFS uh, games or something like that, Dynasty is probably the, the realistic next step for you. And I know there's you know hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of players who get to the end of the season and they're glad it's over and they, they don't want to – pay attention to football for uh, for a few months. That's fine. But if you're one of those that the season's over, the fantasy season's over and you're disappointed that you can't trade anymore or you can't uh, you don't have those lineups to set, then dynasty is for you because once we get to the end of the season in dynasty, we're certainly not done. Uh, there there are things happening all off season in in a good dynasty league. So to me there's a a, a lot of perks. I, this the first thing I thought of probably sounds kind of weird, but in Dynasty, the focus is not always on winning. And of course, we always want to win, but we also recognize that in, if we're being realistic, we can't win every year. Now, in a redraft league, you're not winning. Once you're eliminated from the playoffs, we know how those leagues go. A lot of times, you don't even set your lineup anymore, uh, which, which obviously hurts the entire league. But again, playing Dynasty... If that's how your season's going, now you've got a long-term view. You can start acquiring younger players or draft picks or or even just start paying closer attention to college football, thinking about who you might be able to draft that next year. Um, so the focus is not always on winning in, in this case. And through that lens, I think that's a good thing. I already mentioned the offseason. For me, with all sports, I, I grew up a big baseball fan uh, and, and and basketball fan as well. Actually, football kind of came later for me. But the offseason is always the best part of every sport. The trades and the free agency, the, just that, that roster management piece. I loved watching that as, as a fan. And I loved it when my Yankees signed a new player and they always seemed to do that. Um, and that's what, that's what Dynasty is. You know, whether it's trading – uh, playing the waiver wire in March and April when nobody else <laughs> seems to really care. Those, uh, that's, to me, that's part of the fun of Dynasty. So that's, that's just a few things. And once you're out of the playoffs, our season just started. So jump on the bandwagon. So we've decided to join Dynasty now. 
we've got to pick a, a league. And uh, you're commissioner of one of the more popular leagues with Kitchen Sink. I actually just joined a, a kind of branch off that that Chris's Boboda is running. But that doesn't mean that that's your for- favorite format. What is your favorite format? Uh, Superflex, IDP, 1QB, all those. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I wouldn't call Kitchen Sink a, a, a format on its own. But the idea behind Kitchen Sink was to take all of these pieces that um, I enjoyed in different leagues or, or in, in general that people uh, w- would join the league for. You know, you might, and this is five or six years ago, you would join the league because it's a Devi league or mm-hmm. you join the league because it's super flex. And I was, I was talking on Twitter with Russell Clay one, uh, you know, one day. And again, this is five or six years ago. And we're talking about some of these different aspects of leagues that are our favorites. And it, it just hit me, which it seems like a really obvious idea at this point, but why don't we just put all of those together in one league? So that's what I tried to do. Uh, kitchen sink. Uh, it does not include IDP. I'm, I'm not an IDP player. I've tried it a couple times. Yeah. And it wasn't, wasn't really for me, but I'm, those guys that, uh, that play that are, are hardcore. They're the real degenerates. I agree. I think they might even be sharper than us. Uh, after diving in a few IDP leagues, I, I think that's the far more difficult side of the ball. Do you have any interesting wrinkles that you prefer? I know we discussed a little uh, point per first down beforehand. Yeah, so so Kitchen Sink is uh, it's an auction league, and we have multiple auctions every offseason, of course, uh, free agency auctions, uh, rookie auctions. It's a Devi league as well, so we have Devi auctions. We have as many as five auctions every offseason, and that's, that's probably my favorite part. But it, they're also super flex, tight end premium leagues. I, I think if I were – starting fresh or if, even if I were just starting a new kitchen sink league, I think I would add point per carry as, as an option. And I really, I'm starting to think the real tight end premium is starting two tight ends rather Absolutely. than, rather than any kind of PPR adjustment. Um, and that, that makes for a huge challenge. I've talked to Scott fish about this. I know he's not a fan of that uh, because it does, you know, it, that, that position dries up quickly. When, right. if you've got 12 teams True. and you have to start two every week and we know, we know how ugly the tight end position is right now. But to me, that, that's just another, you know, another challenge, another wrinkle to add in. The kitchen sink leagues are also double headers. I like that aspect. And so, and then we've got kind of, kind of a funky playoff system, basically a multiple week playoff, um, scenario where where we're kind of combining scores it's 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 pretty uh in depth but it it works for us now could you quickly explain what's the double header uh aspect i've never heard of that before yeah we just play two games every week oh so um yeah yeah it's that simple and to me the um that helps you get a truer uh set of playoff teams as far as in general i think the best teams are, are getting in the playoffs and if you're talking about uh, a league that maybe takes the top five records and and the highest score after that, which I think is pretty typical at this point, uh, you're still going to have some teams that might not really look the part that sneak into the playoffs. And that's not always a bad thing. That happens in in the real NFL and, and in other sports as well. Uh, but I think the doubleheader aspect, it just gives you some, you know, it's another game to watch. Sometimes you win one and lose one, but but it also in the end, at the end of the season, I think results in 
like I said, a truer uh, picture of who the who really are the best teams. Now, is that something that you have to track manually or the commissioners have to track manually, or is that something that the software, whichever site that you're using for, will adjust for automatically? Yeah, we use my fantasy league and that's that's an option on there. Okay. So um no, it's it's pretty easy to set up, just one of their built in options that they have. Okay. Cool. I have to check that out. Hopefully I can get in a league that features that particular format. That sounds really interesting. Uh, but you did happen to mention uh, auctions like with some of the wrinkles that you prefer doing. And actually, just this past week, we were able to sit down with uh, George Criticos, uh, Rotohack himself, and he kind of walked us through his process like for doing auctions and setting budgets. Now, George talked about uh, setting budgets like using percentages. Like if you have so much of a – regardless of what your cap size is – things of that nature. He'll assign a percentage based off of the position or player, things of that nature. So 30% for a quarterback, 40% for a running back, whatever the case may be. Now, is that a similar process that you employ, or do you go about it in a different manner? It is. um, So, yeah, George is in in a few of the kitchen sink leagues as well. Uh, I've been through five of those now, and, and then I've done a couple other auction leagues uh, aside from the kitchen sink leaks. So I always start with kind of the rough outline of what George was describing as far as the percentages of the cap that I wanted to spend on each position. But then I found myself uh, really, uh, I don't even want to say adjusting, almost just disregarding that once the auction <laughs> got started and, and just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, I guess, you know, putting, putting the team together and, and adjusting, but, um, just kind of forgetting about any plans I had set prior to that. So this past off season, uh, I actually joined Red List Two, which is uh, uh, one of Matt Price's leagues that that he runs. He does a great job with. And I, you know, like we always do, I told myself I wasn't going going to join any new startups this <laughs> off season, but I gave in. So to kind of hedge myself there, I. I had a partner, or I, I've okay. got a co-owner, Dan Myler, co-host on on the DLF Dynasty podcast. Um, so Dan and I are working together on this, and it's it's a couple nights or a couple days before the auction begins, and he's kind of sharing with me his typical plan as far as prepping for a, for an auction, and it started out similar to mine. He we took ADP, we created some tiers from that. Uh, We had some historic auction data that we were able to say, this is what we think the quarterback one will go for. And, and all the way down the line, we did that for each position. But then what Dan did that I had not done before is he came up with, and we, we did this together, but he kind of led me through this, what we wanted to spend on every single spot on our roster. So, Mm -hmm. This is the amount we want to spend on our QB1 based on what we expect the prices to be, uh, what our goals are as far as filling out the team and what uh, just the general roster construction. So all the way down to that 25th or 30th player, whatever it was in this case, and um, we assign them a dollar amount. And as we won players, sometimes we went slightly over budget. Sometimes, of course, we saved money. But every time we won a player, we move that money around. So if we saved $5 on our quarterback one, we took that $5 and, and had the conversation, 
where's the best place to move that? Where do we maybe need some extra money? You know, running backs are going for more than we expected. So let's put it on our on our running back one and and use it that way. And and Dan was meticulous about this. And I love that he was because it it kind of showed me a, a new method to really attack this uh, this auction startup. So uh, that's I don't know if if I'll be able to take on that that as my own uh, strategy because it was I mean, it was intense. I was actually on vacation when we were doing the startup oh, and man. we were, the family was at Disney world. We'd get back to the hotel every night at 11 or midnight. And we'd jump on, on a Google hangout and have this conversation about the players, the, you know, the auctions that were going on, who we were going to nominate the next day and just our strategies. But right. it was, it was a ton of fun. And, and Dan really taught me how to, uh, or I guess a different way to attack an auction. Oh, that sounds like it. And that that's very much, I guess George's approach and the one that I would like to, like I would typically employ myself. It sounds very structured, I guess would be the, the first word that comes to mind, but yours sounds like even if it is structured at the very, at first glance, it allows for some flexibility. So if things do change or if players do become more or less valuable, you can, you can adjust accordingly. So. I guess building off of that, so if there are some players that either a player or a position that you're particularly high on, is there, I guess, is there, are you willing to take that leap and say that, well, I know that I said that I was only going to spend 20%, 30%, or however much I, I was going to budget for that particular player or position. Are you willing to take on more risk in order to grab that player, or do you try and stick within that budget in order to make sure that you have enough for the rest of your roster? I think it's tough with auctions. I think if you're doing a, a, a redraft league or a, a dynasty startup draft, you can rely on ADP and there's going to be some, some reaches and there's going to be players that fall. But in general, it, it's pretty well laid out, but auctions are so different. They're so unique from, from one to the other because it all really depends on when players get nominated. So I, I think I would be willing in general to to make those adjustments kind of on the fly, like I said earlier, but only if I, if I know where I'm taking that money from. So if I'm in a super flex auction and I, I need to spend more at quarterback, the only way I would feel comfortable about doing that is if wide receivers are going for cheaper than I thought they might, or running backs were less than I thought they might. Something like that. Basically, I want to know where, if I'm moving money around, where's it coming from? You'd have to have a contingency plan to make sure that your roster <clears throat> comes up with some value later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And now you've addressed an issue that I failed to, to kind of offer a solution to last week when I was offering up the, uh, percentage strategy. So if Gurley is worth 25% of your roster, then you're okay spending 25% of your budget on him. The problem was that how do I know that I'm willing to spend 25% of my roster on Gurley? So you took that to a next level yourself and Dan. And assigned the answer to that question, which is, um, you know, how much money I'm willing to spend on my RB1. So then it hasn't become girly. So you don't have to worry about, uh, will girly produce 25% of my points. So I absolutely love that strategy. I'm definitely an advocate for exact sciences and that gets about as close as you can. We'll take the next step here. So let's say you've won some players in the auction. I personally enjoy building my team around, um, quality elite wide receivers and rookie running backs. I truly believe that they are the cheapest way to find elite production and also running backs lifespan is shorter. 
So I'll put in a little bit of extra work or try to listen to the right people and hit on those rookie backs. Now we've got an issue with the rookie backs this year. It was supposed to be another elite rookie running back class. Well, we've got a hamstring pull for Barkley, an ACL tear for Geis, a broken finger for Penny, and uh, the knee issue with Sony. So, you know, when we draft wide receivers, we're okay with that uh, two to three years. You might have to wait, but uh, a lot of people are trying to get some production from these rookies. So uh, first, how do you handle a season ender with a rookie running back like Geis? I think it's just a case-by-case situation. Um, really, like just like I would with any other player, if, if I believe in the player, then I'm certainly going to try to buy low. We've seen this happen every year, essentially, that players get injured. Um, I mean, superstar players get injured. They're out for the season. Their value goes down if you want to base that on ADP or on trade value, however you want to look at that. And then almost every time, it doesn't mean they're going to return to form as far as the numbers they're putting up and their play on the field, but their value is going to return. We've seen it time after time. I did a study on it for DLF a couple years ago, looking at players, uh, at uh, top tier players who had season ending injuries and every one of them returned to that same, to essentially that same value. I, I think it's last year's case was really interesting because we had Dalvin cook who I, I do think will be a little different than guys that this year, but we had Dalvin cook who based on our ADP basically lost no value at all. Rose actually, I did right. a little bit of research. He actually right. rose. Um, so you know, maybe that's because of just that overall rookie running back hype, and and he benefited from Hunt and Kamara and Fournette and McCaffrey putting up points. I don't know that that was the first time I really remember seeing that. Allen Robinson had the season ender last year as well. Um, he didn't drop very far. I think he he dropped about a round, if I remember correctly. David Johnson had the season ender. He stayed in the first round. Uh, From five to eight, I think. Right throughout the the season, and we do our our in season ADP over there as well. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's showing we're we're becoming more patient as dynasty owners. Um, that we're we're not ready to give up on these guys just because uh, they're out for the year, and, and we're we're bringing kind of that long term view. I don't know, putting our money where our mouth is, I, I guess, right? We say we, we have a three-year window. Some people even like to go longer than that. If that's the truth, then we shouldn't panic on guys. As far as some of the other guys, I mean, if you were not a guys fan, I, I still think you can make a case for buying low if they're, if that actually plays itself out, right? Like if that's right. an opportunity, even if you're not a fan, buy, sell in the spring. But in general, if, if I wasn't a fan before, I'm, I'm probably not taking a chance. And we've kind of uh, talked to, about two running backs. Uh, so we've, we've got numerous players now in which they didn't really drop any significant value. So what that says to me and what I am suggesting is don't sell him low because he's going to hold the same value. Perhaps it says something to the kind of top heavy nature of the running back position as opposed to the wide receiver position. Uh, those guys tend to cycle out a little bit. Maybe not the elite guys. They'll stay around, but I feel like I could get an Allen Robinson sort of replacement a little easier than I could get, uh, say a DJ replacement or a cook replacement. A little more expensive at this point in time. So I certainly wouldn't be, uh, especially not those trades I'm seeing for the 19 first. Come on, who does that make any sense to? But that's happening, you know? So like you mentioned, if you're not a big fan of 
of Geist, but there's somebody that wants a 19 first, please just send them your 19 first for Geist. But we've also got those other running backs we mentioned. Now they have lingering issues right now. Um, Sony's got the knee, Barkley's got the hamstring, Penny, uh, probably the best case, I would assume right now, depending on the severity of Barkley's hamstring, but they say until the season. So is there any reason to worry about those guys? Is there, do you take issue to nagging injuries a little bit more? Um, not necessarily. I mean, when I think nagging injuries, I think kind of those soft, soft tissue that we see, you know, Josh Dotson, things like that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if that's what we're dealing with, with Sony, uh, of the guys you mentioned, he might be the one I would be worried about. He's also older than, than all these other guys. I think he's already 23. Yep. Um, so if I'm worried about one of these guys, it's probably him. That said, I was a big fan. I mean, we all saw what he did in the college playoffs last year, yeah. which was just remarkable. And, and I think everybody got on the bandwagon. We forget, you know, early in the, I don't even want to say off season, I guess um, when people started really thinking about rookie drafts, November, December, uh, again, like, Going back to what we said earlier, when your fantasy teams, your dynasty team is eliminated, you start thinking about college football a little Absolutely. bit more. But as as the season was winding down before those college playoffs, Michelle was a guy that was being talked about as a second or third rounder in in fantasy rookie drafts, dynasty yep. rookie drafts, and and of course he he moves all the way up not only to a first rounder in those, but a first rounder in the NFL as well. But the age, the knee, we we heard the reports about the bone on bone condition. I don't, I don't know if that's actually the case or if, if whatever's going on is a separate issue, but all that's kind of piling up to give me a little concern with him. Hey guys, I know we have a lot going on with Ryan right now, but I wanted to take a quick second and talk about our sponsor. 444 is now sponsoring the DOM pod so we can give back to you, the listener. Be sure to use our promo code DynastyOM, that's D-Y-N-A. S-T-Y-O-M in the promo code area to get 25% off your subscription. 444 has been the most accurate ranking site since 2012 with a talented crew of fantasy content creators, including yours truly. We've got custom rankings, cheat sheets, and a top 200 list to help you during your drafts. For those still prepping, 444 has both a draft analyzer and league syncing tool to get an edge on your league mates. For you DFS folk, the great DJ Hernandez, along with Holden Kushner, is on the DFS MVP podcast to drop your weekly content for your lineups. It's well worth the investment and will certainly help you in your run for the championship. And now, back to Ryan. And that's something similar that you see with Ajayi, who hasn't actually lost any games to it. So if, if an owner's panicking, uh, perhaps that's a chance to pounce on that because... Uh, like I mentioned, uh, Ajay, obviously not the same talent, but uh, hasn't actually missed a game to the knee issue that we constantly hear about. So, yeah, that's something to look into for sure. But the bad thing with Ajay, and and I'm not an Ajay fan either, and I've, you know, I've thrown out just like uh, just like a lot of Ajay doubters have, I've thrown out the injury prone thing. Mm-hmm. So, and like you're saying, he hasn't he, he's missed games, but not necessarily because of that issue. Right. Right. But we're still we still associate that with him because we know he fell on on draft weekend, mm-hmm. um, and I mean he may never shake that, which which is not really fair. And now I'm thinking in two or three years are we going to be saying Sony Michelle's injury prone? Possibly, sure, yeah, probably, sure. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. 
So now transitioning from that, so we've discussed some of the ways that we value players, different formats that we like to play in. So let's assume now that we're into the into the season or leading up to the season, and we already have our uh, have our rosters in front of you, and we're talking about trades and. I guess before for our podcast, we had I don't know Adam. How many folks do we have on talking about league psychology? Because it seems like a fairly large component of Dynasty. Because as you were talking about earlier, Ryan, I mean, once you get into the off season, it's where a lot of the activity starts to ramp up. Folks are looking forward to the actual NFL draft. People are talking about rookies. So there's a lot of you know, communication, there's a lot of trades going back and forth in preparation for the drafts themselves. So when you get into talking about league psychology, one of the things that John Bosch brought up during his episode with us was that sometimes as, especially somebody in your position, you can have some of your ranks used against you. And I would assume that with as much work as you've done, I mean, we just went through a whole laundry list of podcasts and or, uh, you know, sites that you work for that some of the work that you do could be used as leveraged against you, where somebody could say that, well, I see that you have this person ranked in this area, so why don't you value them as such, or why can't I get them for this price off of you in a trade? Has it ever happened to you, or is that something that you could use against somebody else, rather, uh, in a trade, you know, depending on the league that you're in? Has that, Have you seen that happen before? Yeah, that, that's definitely happened to me uh, several times, and Sometimes the the other party and is upfront with it as far as saying, I you know I saw that I saw how you rank these players, so let's make this trade. And and sometimes they don't necessarily mention it, but it's pretty obvious. So I mean that just kind of goes along with it, I guess, right? I mean if you put your rankings out there, uh, whether it's on Twitter or for a website, whatever the case might be, I don't want to say you're asking for it, but it just kind of goes along it goes along with that. That's, that's part of it. So it typically doesn't frustrate me. I mean, that's another tool, right? We all have to, when we're trying to make trades, we have to use these tools and sure. And that might, that might be looking at the, another owner's trade history, what type of trades they, they typically make. It might be searching their Twitter timeline to see what they've said about players. So that's just another piece of information that you can use. So, I mean, the only real problem I have with it is when it's presented as, you rank this player nine and this player 10. So let's trade those. I mean, to me, rankings are not, it's not fully a trade tool, mm-hmm. uh, depending on uh, what situation my team is in. I might not trade LaShawn McCoy for Tevin Coleman, right? I probably rank Coleman ahead of, of McCoy, but I'm not always going to make that trade. So when it's presented that way as I looked at your rankings and I'm making you this offer because of, because of that, then it's it gets kind of frustrating. But, I mean, I decided early on, if I'm going to write articles and I'm going to be active on Twitter and I'm going to do podcasts, like, you can't pull any punches. You can't hide anything. That's To me, that's just kind of – I mean, I, I've seen it done. I've seen, I've seen fantasy writers do their rankings – compete uh take part in a draft and then change the rankings so (laughs) and it's it's to me it's just a really weak move and maybe that means uh that i don't get the players that i wanted um or maybe it means i pay a higher price but you know if there's a player i'm trying to buy i'm not going to 
go make offers for him and then tell Twitter. I'm just going to tell Twitter and, and then make the offers. Right. Taewon, Taewon Taylor is my guy this year. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all about Taewon Taylor this year myself. So I'm, I'm absolutely with you. But now you mentioned trade tools uh, in in uh, in your explanation there and. As I've started to get into Dynasty myself, I have at least started using some of the tools that are available online, such as trade calculators. And now we were talking, Adam, was it last week when we were talking to when we were talking to Russ? I believe so. Uh, podcast yep. should be out soon, so don't get too mad at us, Russ. I'm working on it. But <laughs> regardless, uh, when it comes to trade calculators, are there something that are there something that you use? I mean, I've tried to use them, uh, and the, this also way that the Russ talked about it as well as kind of a let's say a unbiased third party if you want to at least understand the value of the players or if you're not particularly sure about the value of the trade itself you can use the trade calculator as a way in order for you to figure out what that value is is that something that you would advocate for is it something you've done in the past it's actually not um i've actually never used a trade calculator uh I, i probably should check it out just to uh see what it's all about i i know they are really popular i know a lot of People use those and um, rely on those to different degrees, right? Like sometimes just a, a double check. This is what I'm thinking. Is this in the ballpark? And I, I've, I've seen and heard of people strictly basically doing whatever the calculator tells them, which mm-hmm. I would not I would not advocate for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with someone that they play in a league that uses a trade calculator and if if the calculator is not within whatever percent, then the trade gets vetoed. So, oh yeah, that that is not the way to use it, in my opinion, at least. Um, but so I, I can't really advocate for using it because I haven't used it myself. But uh, I, when I have tough trade questions in my own leagues, to me, it's just I would just rather go to people I trust. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got. Um, five or six people that, that I've played with and played against long enough that I, I usually just shoot them a quick text. Dwayne Brown is probably tired of me, uh, bugging him <laughs> so much, but, um, yeah, Dwayne and, and Curtis Patrick and Dan Myler and, uh, Eric Dickens, a, a lot of DLF folks that have, uh, had the chance to interact with a lot. Nathan Powell, if I've got a tough trade question, I'll just run it by them. And, and to me, I trust those guys more than a calculator, honestly. 100%. And to quick, to quick hit on the calculator, real quick. Uh, so when we discussed it, we were talking about uh, what resource do you use, and a lot of people have one resource that they point to, and they're like, "That's what I use for trades." Well, I posed uh, a different option, which is use every resource. So I'll do the trade I was going to do regardless, but I run every single trade uh, through the calculator. Almost just for fun. It's not going to influence the trade whatsoever. And I will say there are a lot that are absolutely not correct. Um, so you have to be careful of that. That really worries me about some people that, that are using that 100%. But it is a fun tool for sure. And it's it's just one more thing to have in your pocket. Yeah, I think the other thing that people use a lot, um, maybe if they don't have access to the calculator or to a calculator or whatever is just the, the trade poll on Twitter. Yep. So we, we used to see uh, years ago, we would see the hashtag dynasty trades and they were always completed trades, right? They were, yep. I, I made this trade. I just want to share it. And, and then the poll feature came along and oh, that man. changed. 
So, you know, now people, before they accept a trade, run to Twitter, throw it up there. And, and if it's not, if it's not in the ballpark, they're probably not going to do it. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, that's fine. You know, whatever works for you. I think um, uh, Kevin O'Brien was telling us some horror stories about some of the <laughs> trades that, that he's made over the cu- last couple of years where he has just been roasted on Twitter for making, but they wound up working in his favor. So I guess it, it was fine for him. But at the time he just, he, he swears, he swore off doing any of those after, after some of the trades that, that, uh, that he got feedback from. So I don't blame him. I actually remember, um, I guess it was two or three years ago. I made a trade with, with my co-host Matt Williamson in one of the hyperactive leagues. And this, so this was, um, I guess it was the off season after 2015. Uh, I think that was the year that, um, that Devonte Adams had had a really rough year. He dropped everything that was thrown his way and, and he was just looking like a bust. I had him on my roster. I needed a little bit of balance to my roster and, and needed, uh, needed a running back. So I traded Devonte Adams plus I think it was maybe a second round or something like that for Eddie Lacy. Oh no! So oh. so at this point, Lacy was you know he was a top five dynasty running back and he looked mm-hmm. like the Packers starter for years to come. So I don't have to tell you how that turned out. Sure. Matt Matt killed me on that one, but the part that really sticks with me and I made I've made dozens or more terrible trades you know over over my time playing fantasy football and playing in dynasty leagues but what really sticks with me is when matt put that out on twitter he got hammered i mean people were killing him for that trade and that's that's what's really stuck with me is you know we're just we're just too quick to judge these these trades sometimes especially in the off season there's definitely some trades i pull off and I'll, I'm not biased. If I feel like Twitter's going to think I won by a lot, I'm not posting it. And if it yeah. looks like I lost by a lot, I'm not posting it. The only thing I'll post anymore, especially after talking to Kevin, is if it's close and it's going to create dialogue. If it's something where people are just going to comment and be negative and say that somebody got destroyed, it's not even going up. It's not even fun anymore. Yeah, I, I totally agree. If you really think you won a trade and your league mates – are active on Twitter, one million percent. You should not make. Absolutely you should not put yes. that up there. Yes. Just you know, put it in your pocket and enjoy your day a little bit more than you would have. But uh, if if you're going to basically try to brag about that, you're killing a trade relationship for no reason. Absolutely. Yes. Save, save your mentions. Don't don't worry about it. I would say just keep that to yourself. But now since we're on the discussion of, of making trades and whatnot, we discussed with Brandon Nickel a couple of weeks back about I guess the, the his process for negotiating trades. And I was, what's your typical approach to making trades? I mean, do you just cold call people? Do you wind up having a conversation with them first? Is there, or is there any uh, or does it depend on the trade itself or the players that you have in mind when making the trade? Yeah, I think it probably does depend on the trade. Um, I mean, we all have those trades we're trying to make where you're just spamming the league, right? You're trying to get rid of a Des Bryant for any second rounder. So you're sending those type of offers. Um, not necessarily any communication with those type of deals. Uh, but if it's, if it's a larger trade, if we're talking about guys that are top three rounds of ADP or something like that, then Rather than just sending an offer, I'm probably sending an email or a text or, or a, a DM or something first just to get those talks going, 
see if there's any interest before I spend a ton of time crafting a trade and then come to find out they're never going to trade Joe Mixon or, or whoever it might be. So, I, yeah, communication is certainly very important there. So when we talked with uh, Leo Pusiga, oh, gosh, how long? I can't even remember how long ago that was. He talked about his, six now. Yeah, it feels like it. Uh, but we were talking about the notebook, and I have to ask, uh, are you featured in the notebooks anywhere? Have have you been have you been in leagues with Leo? I, I know he's been he's been in so many leagues and uh, been playing Dynasty for so long. And I was just hearing about the the local was it the Beantown Brawlers, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. that he does yep. with. Thorman, Kevin, and a number of other great folks. So I wasn't Carl sure if, too. Uh, yeah, Carl too. Actually, yeah, that, that's true. I, I was so. wondering if uh, you're if you're also featured in the notebook somewhere. Yeah, I probably am. Um, I did play in a dynasty league just for one year with Leo. Um, it was it was actually short lived on on my part. Uh, going back to being in too many leagues, I had <laughs> I had to step away from that one. So. But yeah, I'm probably in the notebook just from our uh, interactions that one year and from just kind of having a lot of conversations on, on Twitter. Leo is is awesome, as you yeah. guys know. Oh, uh, he, he actually gave me a little a little peek into the notebook uh, at one point. <laughs> he, he sent me a couple of screenshots of that, and he also let me know that I was uh, among the very few to get that honor. So I, I am honored. To, to check out kind of his method. And I, I really respect him for that because it, it obviously makes him a better dynasty owner. You can't argue that. And I really, I wish I was that diligent and um, I don't know. I just, I just wish I could do that. But to me, it's a hard strategy or, or method to, to really copy because it does require so much time and effort and, and, and really skill, honestly. Yeah, without a doubt. And out of all the things that he tracks, I mean, from what you, from what he told us, and maybe from what you saw, I mean, he tracks everything. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, who got drafted, when they got drafted, uh, trades that he wasn't even involved in. I mean, almost almost anything. Now, are there any of those variables or any of those events that he tracks? Things that maybe you don't write them down in a spreadsheet and keep track of them, but are there things that you mentally account for that, or that you think that might be important for you to remember when it comes to making trades or making draft picks or trying to trade for draft picks or things of that nature? Yeah, I think rookie draft uh, tendencies are probably the easiest thing to track or, or even just remember if you know that player always or that owner always reaches for – the trendy kind of flavor of the month pick, those kind of things stand out to me. If they draft a tight end earlier than they should or a quarterback earlier than they should, those those are things that kind of stick in the back of my mind. But again, that's why I bow down to Leo and the work that he does because it's got to show up as a trend, right? It's not one time. I, I'm not going to remember who you picked last year in our rookie draft. But if you pick a tight end three years in a row – then I might notice that, but that's still taking three or four years for me to figure out. Leo's Leo's going to be on top of that much sooner. Yeah, so we're pushing the show along. We're going to get through it all, but we do have an awesome announcement. Everyone here knows FF Statistics. Ryan, over at DLF, you guys have the awesome DLF family of pods, and if you guys don't know what that is, you're in for a treat. It's amazing for long drives, but you can just look up DLF family of pods on iTunes like you would any podcast, and you will get all of their podcasts in a row. So just play through. You'll hear a little bit of Ryan, then you'll hear some Kevin. It's awesome. 
Well, FF Statistics is going to have their own family, and uh, we've been invited to join it. So Addison uh, invited us on, and him and Tim Torch have the official FF Statistics pod, and Honesty Owner's Manual is going to be joining the uh, FF Statistics family of pods. So we're extremely excited, and sorry for no trivia, but the the announcement trumped it this week. Uh, But to get back into the pod, we discussed some stuff with Addison and Tyler Gee about breakout age and, and draft capital. So FF statistics is really the hub of fantasy data. And I, I like to use it for trend analysis, uh, trying to get more into Z score a little bit, but uh, what are the, the most commonly used resources for you on almost a day-to-day basis as a dynasty owner? Man, there's, there's so many, you know, it seems like a few years ago when I started writing, there were, there were only just a, a couple of dynasty sites out there. Uh, DLF was one of them. And and now there are so many dynasty tools and websites and resources out there. And then, of course, there's things that are not specifically dynasty, like FF statistics, that can be helpful, whether you're a, a writer or a player or whatever it might be. But yeah, I mean, FF statistics has become one of one of my top go-tos. Yep. And, and then, of course, PFF, Fantasy Data is another site similar to what Addison has going uh, Rotoviz at, at, and then at DLF we have we have our dynasty ADP we also have the dynasty trade finder tool both of those are really yep. helpful in in identifying player value uh, and, and then the the last one would just be Twitter to me Twitter has basically not only become that form of communication with so many other people but it's it's essentially my Google you know if, if somebody mm-hmm. says hey did you hear about guys? I'm going to Twitter and searching guys to see what happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to search on Google or or anything like that. There's somebody somewhere talking about it, and and you can get the news and you can get takes on the news, you know, in an instant. So you mentioned a lot of resources, and what I'm about to ask you about would be found on a lot of them. I know specifically, uh, player profiler will give you the uh, draft capital and uh, breakout age. Um, so in reference to the the rookies, how much weight are you putting into uh, draft capital and breakout age, respectively? As far as breakout age, not a ton, honestly. I mean, it, it's certainly something I look at, uh, I make a note of, but uh, unless it's one extreme or the other, it, it's probably not going to be something I, I really factor into my decisions. Um, draft capital, a, a little more important. Uh, I've, again, I've done some work with that and, and kind of tracking how players perform after if they're drafted in round one, round two and three, and then so on. And I, I think there's, you know, there's something to take away from that, that mm-hmm. the further you get down the line, obviously, the, the longer shot you're talking about. So uh, I think draft capital is a real thing. I'm, I don't I don't go all in on draft capital, sure. but but I think you have to factor it in. Like, I mean, last year I didn't like John Ross. And I didn't care that he went 10th overall. Same with Tavon Austin, same with some other guys. So draft capital is not going to change my mind if I'm totally out on a player. Um, it will change my mind if I'm all, all in on a player. I had right. uh, Equinemia St. Brown was my wide receiver too pre-draft, uh, which is, is a, a little sad to admit now. <laughs> but, I mean, when he falls to the sixth round, you can't ignore that. 
right? Mm-hmm. And behind two other receivers, right, well. especially when yes. he's the third on his own team. So, I mean, I, I liked him. I loved what I saw in college, but it, he he dropped. I, I think he dropped out of my top ten wide receivers. He's right. certainly out of my top ten rookie wide receivers now. But it, immediately, I dropped him from two, I think, to twelve, maybe somewhere in that range. And I actually got criticism for that. Like people were saying, you know, stand by your take. And to me, the NFL, I mean, they're better talent evaluators than I am in general, you know, as far as the whole, each team. So I'm not going to pretend I I know more than scouts and coaches and general managers. And when somebody falls that far, then yeah, you, you can't ignore that. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, stand by your take, and and I get that a lot. And I'm just wondering, it you know, if you stood by Eddie Lacy, where would you be right now? Are you still going to keep Eddie Lacy on your roster? And I hear that, <laughs> I hear that way too much. Look, if McKinnon came out and just absolutely destroyed it for three games and was running over middle linebackers, I would probably change my perspective on Jarek McKinnon pretty quickly. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to ride the ship <laughs> down. Um, but and a lot of the de facto answers for people who. Uh, love draft pedigree so much, which it is, it is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. It is that the coaches put way more time and effort into it than you do. And I agree. And it's their profession, but not everyone's great at their profession. And mm-hmm. Darius Geis still held the 102 almost consensus, uh, with a little penny sprinkled in there. And he was the, uh, sixth running back off the board, if I remember correctly. Um, so I don't know that. I'm going to, you know, listen to the coaches all that much when uh, Darius Geis, to me, was far superior than some of the running backs before him. So it's a great point that it's not everything. You, you don't have to go off that. But what I really want to know is when when does draft pedigree wear off? Uh, unfortunately, the only examples I could think of were Rashard Perriman and Laquan Treadwell. I, w- I would like to represent both sides of the coin but because there are certainly guys that were drafted highly that are doing very well. But is there a point in time where you get to s- stop using a player's draft pedigree? Well, I think the other end of the coin, the other side of the coin would be guys like Doug Baldwin who were undrafted free agents. Sure. And mm-hmm. And for him, it took him – multiple years of producing at a wide receiver one wide receiver two level before he really had serious dynasty value. So to me, that's the, that's the other side of the coin. And two years ago when Treadwell or two or three years ago, when, when Treadwell was a rookie, he was being drafted ahead of Doug Baldwin, like way ahead. Actually, he was in the, he, he was in the top 20 overall in the spring of his rookie year. So, I think I think it's a long process, right? I mean, Perriman's still on rosters. He is in my leagues. Uh, yep. Treadwell certainly is still on rosters. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we've seen the third-year wide receiver thing was real. Like, you guys are much younger than me. But, I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you, you didn't expect anything from a wide receiver in his first two or three years. And it was that third-year that third year wide receiver that became a, a trend as far as when they would break out. So... And we're still seeing that a little bit with Funchess and Aguilar and guys like that mm-hmm. who are a little slower to uh, slower to produce. So I'm I'm honestly still not giving up on Treadwell. I am kind of giving up on Perriman. <laughs> that I, I horrible just, pick for RG three, man. Yeah, I mean it, it was <laughs> it on. was a bad pick, right? Yeah. Like I think honestly, I think John Ross was a bad pick, and and he's got plenty of time to prove me wrong. But that's where. 
if I don't like a player and I, I think the Bengals or the Ravens or whoever made a bad pick, that's not going to, that's not going to change my mind. Um, but in, in to going back to your question, I think it takes as long. I think draft capital lasts as long in that negative way, I guess, as it does for guys like Baldwin and Adam Thielen to gain value. So essentially it's going to stick until the player either meets expectations or isn't on a team. Pretty much. much, Yeah. I mean, I agree. Well, I mean, even going back, I think, yeah, for going back further than Treadwell and and Brashad Perriman, I I believe is Kevin White, Mm -hmm. right? He was the seventh overall pick. And I don't, I mean, I don't, most of the leagues I play in are 25 man rosters. And he's he's on a roster in every single one of them. So that draft capital is still keeping him on a roster. So in it, that's that year, if he was a second-round pick or a third-round pick instead of seven overall, I think he was seven overall, um, would he still be on a roster? No way. No, no way. And so now a lot of the discussion that we're just having is revolving around sort of the the draft capital and what happens during that draft weekend. And I know that that's a lot of a lot of buzz that gets created around that time frame is that we we look at these these prospects and how they're coming into the NFL and what their general uh, what their projected landing spot might be or we try to project what that landing spot will be in order to I guess generate some extra buzz around those players like people we were just talking about like Sony Michelle regardless of where we valued them where he wound up at was a huge boost for his draft value because we saw that he had the talent already, but now winding up on the Patriots, it's like, okay, well now we're going to, we can boost his value based off of that. So when it comes to, I guess, creating value or I guess looking at their draft value in and of itself, do you use events like the NFL draft, free agency, events like that in order to leverage that into making a trade and saying that, well, if he gets drafted to this team, this could happen and it's going to boost his value. Things of that nature. Like, is that something that you use real world events in order to create a trade for your fantasy team? Uh, I think you definitely, you certainly have to be aware of those things, but as far as taking advantage of those in, in trade talks, I kind of think that's another, that's another one of those things that's probably 10 years old at this point, you know, years ago before Twitter and before, uh, NFL network, even you might just have that one message board. I mean, for me, it was football guys message board that I was, I was always on and, um, the news was pretty quick to get there, but not, not as fast as what we have now. Um, so I think, I don't know. I, I think because we have more access to more information now, you just can't pull those types of trades. Uh, and I think everybody, I think some of those trade offers are just too obvious. You know, we, we get a report that um, Jonathan Williams is the favorite to, to have a key role in new Orleans. And you try to, you offer a third rounder for him or a fourth rounder for him even. And, and you're just going to get laughed at because everybody now pretty much has the same information. All right, we're going to try to ner- not to nerd out too hard on this last one. I know we could do a whole nother episode, but um, <laughs> Kevin O'Brien, uh, he has the the Dynasty Blueprint episode with you. He came on uh, as as well as he came on with us and talked his 401k strategy. So essentially he tries to balance his roster with 50% core contributors, 
uh, 25% youthful upside that he believes in, and then uh, 25% kind of uh, aging contributors. Do you have your own strategy for prolonged success? Uh, so um, kind of the next step to, to after you win your championship? Yeah, actually, this this would actually be kind of a hard one for me to nerd out on because it's it's just really simple and straightforward. Like, yeah. in, if it's a super flex league, I'm building around quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, if if we're talking about a new draft, three of my first five picks are probably quarterbacks. Uh, if it's not a super flex, that's wide receiver instead of quarterback. Um, and, and it's really that simple. And then when we're talking about existing leagues, um, I'm just reading and watching and and following along on Twitter as much as I can to people I trust. And when there is a player that that I believe in, whether it's a, maybe it's a player that I expect to break out like Taewon Taylor, I, I'm trying to get him on every roster. And I don't care if I already have 15 wide receivers and two running backs, I'm still trying to get Taewon Taylor on that roster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's really it. I'm, I'm just trying to get as much talent and as many players as I can uh, through whether it's through the draft or trade or waivers, whatever that might be. So I definitely respect Kevin. He's got he's got that strategy down. He's uh, had a lot of success with that. But mine is is more simple minded than that, unfortunately. So let's say you're in a startup. Uh, draft and uh, we'll assume that OBJ and uh, Nook are off the board. Say you're around the 104, 105 range. Uh, are you trying to trade back or are you just going to take your wide receiver there? I'm assuming Michael Thomas or Antonio Brown. Yeah. I mean, this year specifically, I'm probably trying to trade back because I still, um, I still value Evans a ton, but I know I can get him later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, I kind of like the second round and even the early third round wide receivers more than I do the guys going in that late first round range. I mean, if I could move down and get multiple seconds and get my boy Juju or get Allen Robinson, Tyree kill, those are the guys I really want as my core, even though they're not as established as, as Hopkins and, uh, and Beckham. Yeah. Super flex. I pulled off a trade because uh, like you, I'm going to draft one of the top three quarterbacks. If somehow they get taken before me, then I'll go a different direction. But, um, it ended up no quarterbacks went before me at around pick 10. So I ended up trading back and getting Russ in the early second and Devontae Adams. So trading back is definitely a viable option there if you're not good for those running backs. Yeah, I just I just don't know that it would it would have to be a really rare situation for me to ever trade up, honestly, especially Absolutely. in the early rounds. I mean, if we're talking 10th round and beyond, then yeah, maybe I move up. I pay a small price to make sure I get uh, again, it's Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, yeah we, we keep going back to that. But, you know, a guy who's still relatively a low value. But as far as moving up in the first or second, it's it's just not going to happen for me. So we've come to the end. I mean, we've covered, I think, every single episode or all of the topics that we've hit upon the, in the Dynasty Reuters Manual podcast so far, like to date. So congratulations, Ryan. You made it through the gauntlet. Thank now, you. before Thank we you. get you before we get you out of here this evening, we want to hear any last thoughts that you might have. I mean, just off the top, anything. I want to give you the floor before we get you out of here this evening for new dynasty owners, current dynasty owners. Any tips that you've been able to pick up from your long tenure of playing dynasty? What would you want to say to the folks? Um, 
Yeah, you guys have been very kind. I'm honored to to be on with you all. So thanks for having me. Um, I, I guess sometimes, and, and you guys kind of mentioned this a little bit at the beginning with, with some of the things I do, but um, I I hear sometimes, and, and I know other other players get this too and other writers get this too, like, how do you do it? What's the secret? And to me, there is there is really no secret. I'm, I mean, I am not a scout. I can't watch, I can't watch a game and tell you what the play was or who did what right or wrong. I, that's, that's not my area. I don't, I don't have any secret when it comes to that. To me, the way I became a, a successful dynasty player and the way I became hopefully a successful fantasy writer was just being the most active person. I mean, I, I feel like I'm one of the most active people on Twitter and, and that may or may not be a good thing, depending on how you view it. But uh, I try to take part in conversations. I try to share information that I come across or that pops into my mind. I try to start conversations that I think are interesting. And transferring that over to Dynasty Leagues, I'm, I'm staying on top of the news, the waiver wire, being in communication with everybody else in the league to ju- really just to make my team better. So all of that just goes, goes back to being active. So it, it's, there is no secret. It, it's just, you know, be the most active person in your league. If you're going to be a fantasy writer, be active. Um, I mean, sitting back and, uh, I mean, we all have different schedules. I'm not trying to criticize anybody, but if you're going to write one article every two or three months, like, what's the point? Sure. Like just, just kind of go all in. What it, whatever your all in is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we all have real jobs, and we have podcasts, and we have families, and we have <laughs> things that are more important than this. But whatever your all in looks like, do that. Absolutely. And again, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us this evening. So. Adam, do we have anything, anything else other than, I mean, we're joining Addison's group and I'm hoping folks are already following that, uh, following that. But do we have anything else before we get out of here tonight? Yeah. Before I get to the normal spiel, I just wanted to share real quick. I actually had a, a little bit of a, a parting as well. So I just wanted to share how I started talking to Ryan was basically I found his boxer and, uh, and a league that I was invited to, which is an extension off of his, uh, his kitchen sink. And my thinking was that uh, I'm just going to shoot this box and probably not get a response from Ryan. And I was going to be perfectly okay with that, but I had podcast questions. Uh, Ryan almost immediately got back to me with about a four minute box answering my question and then quite a bit. And what, what that reminded me of, and I'm kind of disappointed myself for not saying this earlier throughout the pod is that I, I try to model myself after that type of person because I've only gotten where I'm at so far because of guys like Ryan helping me. So I care about your fantasy team is basically what I'm saying. Just like these guys cared about our fantasy teams. And I've stayed up very late for, uh, for drafts. I've gotten heated about, about picks people made that, you know, I didn't get to help them with because it was a bad pick, you know, definitely care about your fantasy team. And I think that you should care about others fantasy teams too. The worst that happens is you get better. So that's, that's kind of my departing statement, but yeah, the usual, please, uh, if you like this show, definitely rate and review. That helps us a ton. And subscribe at uh, Dynasty Pregame on YouTube. Our our Twitter handle is at Dynasty Manual. And uh, 
we've got the t-shirts coming out soon. The, the contest is still going on because Josh Gordon still hasn't signed. And then, uh, you can also find me at DHH underscore Adam. Absolutely. You can find me at Chris Allen FFWX and Ryan, I know that you have a ton of followers already, but if they would happen to want to find you on Twitter, where would they be able to find you at? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan MC 23. Absolutely. All right. So, Once again, I'm your host, Chris Allen, and we thank you guys for joining us this evening, and we will catch you guys next week. It's automatic.